Well, hey, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are continuing a series that we st- Pastor Trevor started last week on the book of Acts called The Movement That Changed the World. And really, the reason that we're focusing on this, not only in Terrace Foursquare Church, but also in Mill Creek and South Everett Foursquare Church, is that we believe the book of Acts is not just descriptive, but it's also prescriptive. And what that means is, is that there are a lot of different types of literature in Scripture. There's poetic literature, narrative, historical, apocalyptic, prophetic. You understand there's a lot of different kinds of literature in the Bible, and we do need to understand what we're reading. But when we look at the book of Acts, it is essentially like the beginning of the church as the Holy Spirit is poured out on Jesus' disciples and all those who would be disciples, we don't believe that it's just a narrative. It's just a description of historical accounts. That is true. It is that. But we believe it's more than that because it's also the blueprint for the church, which means it's prescriptive. In fact, if you were to look at all of the commentaries on the book of Acts currently, the ones that you can basically buy, there's somewhere around 1,390 to 1,400 commentaries on the book of Acts. Out of all of those commentaries, less than 3% of them account for the continuation of miracle signs, wonders, and spiritual gifts. In other words, if you pick up any random commentary on the book of Acts, the majority of the people that wrote them do not believe that the same things that happened in this book that we're reading are going to happen today. And that's a sad reality of where we are today, and it's why I believe we don't see some of the things that God has called us to contend for, you know, heaven-to-earth reality in Terrace, Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, Seattle, Washington. It starts with what you believe before it moves into what you practice. You have to believe something in order to practice it. And so I want us to read the book of Acts today, not as historians, but as missionaries, When you read the book of Acts as a missionary, you see what God is giving you, equipping you with, in order to live the spiritual life that Jesus calls us to live. Amen. Okay, all right, you guys, we got to get riled up this morning. That was good. That was a good intro. And uh, Pastor Trevor focused on Acts chapter 1 last week, and what he was talking about is preparation for the mission. Obviously, Jesus had risen from the dead. He's talking to his disciples He's giving them some final instructions. In fact, he did that at the end of the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, he's saying some very specific things to them and preparing them for the mission. They're about to continue his ministry, continue his mission. So he's saying some things to them very important. And one of the things that I want to remind you of before we step into Acts chapter 2 this morning is verse 4 through 8 of Acts 1 so that it kind of cues up where I'm going. And I'll read it, and it says this, gathering them together... He commanded them, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs or the the dates or the hours which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth, i.e. Mount Lake Terrace, Washington. This is what he had in mind, I believe. And so what we want to look at today as we step into Acts chapter 2 is actually the fulfillment of verses 4 through 8 in chapter 1. 
What he talked about, told them to wait for in Jerusalem, is what we read about in Acts chapter 2. My message this morning is called Power for the Mission. Power for the Mission. When Jesus tells them in this passage to go into Jerusalem or to wait into Jerusalem and not leave the city until they have power, what he's talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be endued with power. In other words, you cannot do what I'm calling you to do without the power necessary to accomplish it. You cannot do this just because you had a good teacher for three years. How many of you agree that the disciples had the best teacher for three years? They had the best podcast, they had the best book, they had the best absolute voice that you could have, physical Jesus, living and breathing, teaching them every day, day in, day out for three years about the kingdom of God. And Jesus essentially is saying to them, although you had good equipping, it's not enough for you to fulfill the mission. And so there is something still lacking, and I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive what was promised, and the promise was to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You need power in order to do this. And this is also something for us today. We need power in order to fulfill the mission. And I want to just talk briefly about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism, it is not a sacred word. In fact, it's written in Greek, This word, baptizo, in Greek, it means to immerse, it means to dip, it means to fully saturate. And there are lots of baptisms in the Bible. When you understand that the word baptism is actually a description of an experience rather than an experience itself, it starts to change your reading of Scripture. In other words, there are many baptisms. You can be baptized into the body of Christ. You're baptized into water for the remission of your sins, right? We get baptized in water which is basically an outward act of obedience that symbolizes what has happened or it's indicative of what has happened in the transformation on the inside. When you give your life to Jesus, you, you, you believe upon his death, burial, resurrection. You repent from your way of living. You turn to him. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. When that happens, the next step, we get water baptized. We get water baptized not to get saved, not to be born again, Not to say yes to Jesus, but to say yes again to Jesus. It's the next logical step. It is indicative of what has already taken place. Sometimes when I do the baptism class at our church, I would honestly tell you three out of ten people when they take the baptism class for water baptism, they think that they are giving their life to Jesus at that point. Three out of ten. It's it's very regular. And so I have to explain to them, no, you give your life to Christ and then you get baptized. Being baptized doesn't mean that you're his. You already said yes to him, you're his, and now you're getting baptized because you are his. There's a baptism into water. I could make a case that there's a baptism into the love of God or the in, or intimacy with God. It's, it's, the word is immersion. You're immersed into something. You're immersed. And so we've got to understand that this word is a description. Like you can baptize your chicken in barbecue sauce. Come on, somebody. It's a, it's a description. It's not an event unto itself. It's a description of another event that is taking place. When you get that, you understand that the word baptism is describing something. So when Jesus says, not many days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he tells them what's going to happen when that happens, is you will receive power to be my witnesses in all of these cities and to the remotest parts of the world. It's so important to get this because people argue over what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, not realizing that it's just a description word of an event. And there are several baptisms throughout Scripture. And so Jesus says this to them. They go into Jerusalem, or essentially they're in this, what 
we call the upper room in a house, and they're waiting in obedience to Jesus for what he told them was going to happen. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 21. So everybody take some good breaths along the way, because I'm going to read a number of verses today. This is what it says, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise that like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves as they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. This word tongues means languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and astonished. Don't you want people to see the church again and be amazed and astonished because of what God does? It says it five times in the first four chapters of the book of Acts. People saw the church and what God was doing in the church, and they were amazed and astonished. Do it again, Lord. And they said, why are not, are not all these men speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, and I might have made mistakes there, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, and they were saying, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all, who, all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, that means 9 a.m., but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel, and it shall be, this is a quotation, hundreds and hundreds of years before, and Peter is saying, this is literally happening right now. That's why we're so excited. He quotes Joel chapter 2, and this is what it says, seven, verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, which means Jew and Gentile. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy, your young men will see vi visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 21, come on, that's enough to say amen right there. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can imagine for a first century Jewish context, that meant a whole lot more than just your family members. It went beyond the Jewish community. That was a massive, massive thing. Now, I want to make some points just organizationally, categorically. I want to talk to you about four things that I think we see in this passage to help us as modern day disciples, missionaries of Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, point number one, the disciples position themselves to receive. In the previous chapter that I read to you, it closes with these believers praying together as one. It says they were all together and they were praying together as one. They positioned themselves to receive what Jesus had called them to receive. Now, to me, this is really interesting because I've been leading prayer meetings for quite a long time. 
And I can honestly tell you there was a period of my life where I led a prayer meeting on Sunday night for about a year and a half, and it was about 14 women and Ben Dixon. Now, I love women, okay? <laughs> One in particular. But I was always wondering why the church doesn't show up for prayer. And I couldn't believe it because I feel like, I mean, I don't know much, I don't know a whole lot about airplanes. I know they're big, I fly them, that's nice. But I do know this, airplanes do not run on lawnmower engines. And I believe the church cannot run on just a little bit of prayer. I believe that prayer is literally the engine of the church. Because we're calling out to God, we're crying out to God for what he says is true and what he says that he's called us to have. It's not something that we can do in our own strength. So the first thing that we see with them, and I believe the first thing that we want to have with us, is that we've got to position ourselves to receive. And that does not mean, like many, uh, like many might preach today, you can't just go through the drive-thru, the, the heavenly drive-thru, and and, and pick up your bag of stuff and be on your way. Sometimes to receive what God has called you to have, it's going to cost you something. Like you have to spend time in prayer. You're going to have to show up at times when it's not comfortable and it's not convenient. And I'm, I'm sorry to say this. I don't know that I'm sorry, Pastor Trevor. But I feel like today what's happened is, is that we've made everything convenient and comfortable. And we wonder why the things in the Bible don't happen. And it's not going to happen because it's not always convenient and it's not always comfortable. In fact, I can prove to you in life, you should be able to prove this to yourself, but in life, the greatest things in life sometimes are the hardest things that we have to go after. They cost us the most. Nobody gets a degree overnight. Nobody gets a PhD overnight. Nobody gets, builds a business overnight. And nobody becomes a full-fledged, spirit-filled disciple by just saying, I, I showed up that one time and nothing happened. I, I feel like there's this lie embedded sometimes that like, I, I prayed that one time and nothing happened. Sometimes you've got to be all together in one accord. And you've got to show up and you've got to ask God. You've got to cry out to God for the thing that he says that he's promised. Now I know that grace is a concept in the church that we all believe in salvationally. Of course, it's by grace. It's works that we receive from God. And certainly it's not by works that we receive the Holy Spirit. But it's not quick, fast, and in a hurry. And when, they, when we look at how they lived prescriptively for us, they positioned themselves to receive. They cried out. They were all together. They were waiting. In fact, you can even look at it and see that they didn't even know what they were waiting for except the promise that Jesus had said. They didn't know how it was going to come. They didn't know how the Spirit was going to be poured out. They didn't know what signs or supernatural events would take place. They had no idea. They just knew we're called to be here, we're called to wait, and we'll know when it happens. And they did. Mighty rushing wind. The Bible says flames of fire rested on each one. Wouldn't that be a great Sunday morning meeting? I mean, I don't know about you, but like... Seriously, like if all of a sudden a wind came through this place and all you ladies who have nice hair, God bless you, good job, but all your hair just frazzled, you know what I mean? Like every bun undone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just done, you know, glasses sideways. I mean, and then little flames of fire. This is what happened. No, no, we read this as a historical event like, oh, yeah, it happened. But it did happen. Like flames of fire came to rest and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but they had to position themselves to receive. And, and I find this is a key that we can't easily overlook. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit, we want to position ourselves to receive. You've got to be hungry for the things of God. You've got to be hungry for the things of God. The average American, and I'm not judging, 
okay? But the average American watches about two hours of television a day. Now, come on, somebody, Netflix is almost demonic. I mean, seriously, there's this thing called Hulu. I swear that's a demon. It just sounds like a demon. Hulu. No, I'm just joking. In the old days, we'd call it the devil vision, you know. This is a hard crowd. All right. I'm just joking. Hey, listen, watch television. I don't care. My point is, is that we live in a culture of excess, and we wonder why when it comes to the things of God, we have such a deficiency. I'll tell you why we have a deficiency, because our time and our attention, our affection is on everything else. We've positioned ourselves to receive so much entertainment, and I wonder if entertainment is detaining us from entering what we actually need. And so the question I have is, are you positioning yourself to receive from God? Are you positioning yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit as a missionary, as a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what we're called to. The second thing that we see is that the disciples experience supernatural powers. They position themselves to receive. They did receive supernatural power. I talked about the mighty wind, the flames of fire. They begin to speak with other tongues. They begin to prophesy. In fact, when you count how many different languages were spoken, there were 13 different dialects that were spoken by these disciples, by this group of 120 people. And it was such, it was such a scene that people looked at this and were perplexed. They were amazed. They were perplexed. They were confused. And some of them just didn't know what else to do, so they mocked. They mocked what they couldn't understand. They mocked what they didn't understand. That's what happens sometimes when people receive the power of the Holy Spirit. There are always those there to mock because we are uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with that. Well, that can't be God because it's not happening to me. And and what happens to you and I is not the litmus test for what God is going to do. The Bible is, and in the Bible there's things that happen that may not be a part of your story, but God unfolds things in people's lives that make us uncomfortable sometimes. There are things, have you ever read the Bible and you see God do something that if he did it to you, it would make you uncomfortable? (laughs) If he did it this morning in our gathering, it would make you uncomfortable. What if uncomfortable is a good thing for where we're at today? It's a good thing. I don't want to be uncomfortable just for the, just for uncomfortable sake, but I want everything that God calls us to have. And if that means I've gotten into this level, this place of comfort, I think the God of comfort in America, in our world, in our part of the world, is, is available, accessible, and feels really great, but it deceives us. It deceives us. The God of comfort, it is not our friend. It is not our friend when it comes to the things of God. See, here's what I'm talking about. We don't care about receiving power until we come into an experience where we are powerless. And then all of a sudden, when people around us are plagued with addictions and everything but what a godly life looks like is happening and we can't fix it, there's literally nothing we can do in the natural. I don't know about you, I'm a fixer. I like to fix stuff. If you tell me you have a problem, I literally start thinking about how I'm gonna fix it. I'm sorry if we're in conversation, it's sort of what happens and I have to back down because I'm like, Ben, whoa, buddy. It's just how I am. I don't know if that's all men. I, I, I don't know if I can make that stereotype, but it certainly is me. And I know this, the more that I do what I do, this, these are no longer sermons anymore. These are realities for me. I'm encountering regular situations where my power is not enough, 
My abilities are not enough. And that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's telling his disciples, what you currently have is not enough, and it will never be enough. And so you have to wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do, then go and don't wait. I want you to wait to receive, but when you receive, don't wait, go. Because everybody needs what you have. Everybody needs this message. Everybody needs to know Jesus and we're the carriers of his gospel, of his good news. But I do not believe, I do not believe that the gospel of Jesus leaves the building unless we have power. I just, I just, I've been around long enough, 20 years I've been a Christian, I've been around long enough to see what happens, I've been around long enough to have the temptations, I've been around long enough to wanna go to comfort instead of seek, instead of seek the power of God to, to bring the gospel to the world that so desperately needs it like I did, like I do. They receive supernatural power. Don't you want to see supernatural power released in your life, through your life, to the people around you? Not because we wanna be powerful. I don't care if it, you know, people look at me and think you're a powerful person, you're, you're full of, the, that, none of that, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. What we want, we're not looking for a TV show, okay? We're not, we're not looking for uh, some kind of platform where people think well of us. What we're looking for is people that are addicted. We, what we sang about was he breaks every chain. He breaks the power of the devil. He breaks the power of hell, the cycles of destruction that are all over, that are rampant in our culture right now, that there is an answer for that, and it comes through the power of God. But we've got to get to the end of ourselves to see that we really need God. We need you to come. We need you to come. And so this desperation begins to be born, and the status quo is no longer enough. It's no longer enough. My theory is this. I think that church, and, and I say church not as the people, but church as the gathering, because church really is the people, but I mean church meetings. I think church meetings get boring and become pointless when we don't actually experience what the book talks about. We weren't created to just come read a book, say amen, go home. We were come, we were, we were created and restored in Christ to receive everything that God calls us to have, to do everything that God calls us to do. And when we don't do that, we start doing something different. And there's no wonder why we get disillusioned and bored to tears because it's not what we were created for. Now, I love church services and I don't want them to be boring so I hope you guys aren't bored with you know, me talking, of course. <laughs> if you fall asleep, we just, Lord, I pray you have a dream right now. Lord, thank you. <laughs> receive it. Believe it and receive it. Thank you, Lord. I watch too much Christian television. <laughs> I do. I think I practice that. It's, not, it's probably not funny, but uh, God forgives me. <laughs> it's really bad. Disciples experienced supernatural power in evidential ways. They spoke in tongues, languages that they did not learn. They prophesied. They said things that were from the Spirit of God that they could not know. This is, this is the reality for those that seek the power of the Holy Spirit, not for themselves, but for those around them. And I know that in Pentecostal churches, which we're a, uh, Foursquare is a Pente uh, foundationally a Pentecostal charismatic church, but that does not mean that whatever other people say is Pentecostal or charismatic that we agree with. We need discernment. Not everything is of God. Not everything is from God. 
But what we do believe is that God still does this today, that you can speak with other languages, spiritual languages, missionary languages, languages that you don't have to learn. We believe this. And I know it makes people uncomfortable sometimes to talk about it. And, and I went to a church for about a year where they made fun of it. I remember that. They would uh, talk about all the Pentecostals and how they, you know, do baby babble. And I, re- I just remember being in a Bible study class where they made fun of Pentecostals. And I thought, this doesn't feel Christian, <laughs> you know. If you don't agree, you don't agree. But it doesn't seem right to make fun of everybody. I, I'm, I've done it, too, in other ways. So I, I suppose I feel convicted. But... Um, <laughs> But we believe this stuff. We believe that we still prophesy today. The prophetic ministry of the Old Testament is different than in the New Testament, the New Covenant, what it's for. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, but we believe. Do you notice this thing is like just, this is kind of crazy. All right, anyways, we believe this. There were eight occurrences in the book of Acts where people were baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of those eight, six of them, they spoke in tongues. And that was the evidence that they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, six out of eight. About five out of those eight, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There's a couple, two of them, you don't know what happened, it doesn't actually say. And so we can't say they spoke in tongues or prophesied. Something happened, other people saw it, we just don't know what it was. And so I don't think the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you have to speak in tongues, but it is certainly the primary evidence that this has happened in your life. They received the power of the Holy Spirit How do we know that we receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Here's how we know. Something happens and power follows. Now, what has to happen? Speak in tongues, prophesy, boldness, over and over again. These are the things that happened. We want to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus called his disciples, and we, of course, are his modern-day disciples. We want to experience this. When I was 19 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. And I came out of drug addiction. I came out of all kinds of immorality. It's a long story. But needless to say, it was a supernatural conversion. I have one of those stories. I have an absolute supernatural conversion. The next day, I woke up, and the grass was green, the sky was blue, and it was literally like I had never seen it before. That is the way that I describe it. It was like everything went from black and white into HD color overnight. It's like when you got the new TV. Come on, I am old enough to, to have had a black and white TV Barely, probably because my parents didn't want to buy an upgrade. All right, so there's that. <laughs> but my point is, is that it's like going from that to HD. It's, it's, it's that upgrade. And I remember walking in my house at 19 years old. My dad looks at my face, and he says, you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I, I did, just, just last night. And he goes, you know how I can tell? I go, how? He goes, I can see it in your face. See, whatever I look like, throw- I should show you a picture. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, you, maybe you would, but you, would- you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Good non-judgmental Christian shouldn't believe it. Like, Ben, how could you ever be? No, see, of course. But the picture, it's like death was on my face. It's like rage, anger. You could see it in my face. And the next day, it was like all of that weight had just come, o- come off me. And my dad looked at my countenance and saw something there. Now, I was on fire for the Lord. I'm, I'm giving Bibles to baristas. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm ordering a coffee, and uh, unfortunately, I'm so zealous, I've got no knowledge, and I'm just giving Bibles out, and they're probably just, you're a zealous, strange person, and all of that. A lot of people tolerated my first year or two as a Christian, no doubt about it, and uh, still probably do 20 years later, but... I did learn knowledge along the way, and I did learn tact and discernment and how to approach people with the gospel, but I was passionate. I was zealous. I was dead. Now I'm alive. I want people to know I'm not the only one that the love of God has come to. And so as this happened, I remember one of our friends had just gotten out of prison, 
And those are the kind of the people that I was running with, right? So I actually got back into prison ministry for about two years, and, uh, and I worked with Seattle Union Gospel Mission uh, for a couple years as well to uh, just reach people on the streets because that's where I, I, that's where I felt like I'd come from and I didn't get a second chance. I should have been in prison, so I'm going back to minister to people that didn't get a second chance, and that's where I felt uh, called to in those days. So my friend had gotten out of prison. We were doing this Bible study in the book of Matthew, and let me just tell you, it was probably the worst Bible study on planet Earth. We had no idea what we were talking about, seriously. Like, we're reading the genealogy of Jesus, and I just am so glad it wasn't recorded because what we said was probably, heresy doesn't even describe what was coming out of our mouth. You know, like, we should not have been leading a Bible study at that time, and we're inviting people to it, and we're all excited. Anyways, it was just, it was a beautiful mess, and the Father is just so gracious. You know what I'm saying? He just loves us in the midst of it all. But my friend comes, and he'd just gotten out of prison. He went to church with us that day. And he started talking to us about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I had heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My parents got saved watching Billy Graham on television. And they gave their lives to the Lord uh, right there watching the late Billy Graham preaching on TV. And it was during the Jesus People movement. My dad and mom went to a little Assembly of God church. And they used to baptize people in water. And they would come up out of the water just speaking in tongues. Nobody would ever say anything to them. This power of God would hit people. They'd, they'd, they'd like literally encounter the power of God in the baptismal fallout. I've seen it happen since, but just crazy stuff God was doing in the 60s and 70s when my parents gave their life to the Lord. So I had heard my dad and mom speak in tongues before, but it wasn't like common. We didn't have a lot of discipleship in our home, so I had no teaching on it. When I came, gave my life to the Lord and our friend comes to our Bible study, he just like blasts off speaking in tongues, this other language, this spiritual language. And we're all kind of like, what's... What's homeboy doing over here? What, what's going on? You know, he just was going for it, you know, and he was very aggressive, okay? Convincing is another way of saying it. And so we sat there praying in the presence of the Lord, having no idea what we were doing. We all just now love the Lord. We were dead, now we're alive. And this is what happened to me. I'm sitting in a chair, and it was like electricity hit the top of my head and went all the way through my body. I sat there for 45 minutes, and I had some kind of heavenly experience. This isn't for everybody. This doesn't happen to everybody. This is what happened to me as sure as I am standing in front of you, and it was like power surged through my body. I got up from that experience 45 minutes later, and there were things that were in my life, even as a Christian, that were just broken off. It was like God sovereignly poured out his spirit on my life, and that's what our friend had prayed for. I didn't, I didn't speak in tongues that day or anything like that, but I started to witness to people everywhere that I went. In fact, that began the road to being where I am today. I never sought to be a pastor. I never sought to be a church leader. I never thought, oh, I'm just going to get an education and prove to people that I'm, you know, educated enough and, and qualified enough to talk to them about Jesus. I mean, who's really qualified to talk about God in the presence of God? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's good to get an education, but seriously, like, you're not going to get to heaven and he's going to go, hey, uh, Angel, uh, Michael, Gabriel, gather around. Ben's finally here, <laughs> you know? Hey, Ben, we love your preaching. Could you tell me about me? This would be awesome. That's just not going to happen. You understand? Like, <laughs> this would be a very vulnerable position. All right, anyways, I'm glad you laughed at that. That was good. But I got baptized with the Holy Spirit that day, and I was already passionate about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit touched my life in a way that I, I can't describe in words. I, I tried to. It, it's, it was so def, insufficient for what happened to me, but... I started leading a lot of my friends to the Lord, and it, what happened is power came into my life. Even though I didn't have the knowledge, there was power behind my words. There was, there was power in my actions. It, it, was, it wasn't me functioning with a lawnmower engine anymore. It was something had changed. 
And it was this experience that we read about in Acts chapter 2, the power of God. And I believe that's what the Lord has called every person to have. Not just that we come to know Jesus and, and his grace is enough. His grace is enough for our salvation. But you have to start having a hunger for what other people don't have. When we start thinking not just about our salvation or where we're at in Christ, but we start thinking about where other people aren't, that's where we get desperate for power, for the power of God. Because nothing's gonna happen unless we have it. The disciples experience supernatural power. And number three, the disciples transition from inside to outside. Isn't this interesting? They're in this house. They have this supernatural encounter. They're speaking in tongues. They're prophesying. And it doesn't even say when they transitioned from inside the home to outside. But now they're like basically in the marketplace and everybody from all these different nations and areas are hearing them. It, the Bible doesn't even say, well, they were inside and now they're outside. It just shows us that there was some kind of transition to where now they're preaching open air. And Peter gets up to explain what was actually happening. This is that. This was prophesied about hundreds of years ago. And I want you to know that. This guy that denied Jesus, this guy that was a coward, this guy that couldn't even stand up to say that he was a follower and a disciple of Jesus, all of a sudden gets courage from where? He gets courage from where? To stand up in front of these people that could very well crucify him like the one that he was following, but the courage came from power, the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness of Christ. They're outside because the gospel of Jesus, when we're empowered with the Spirit, is uncontainable. And let's just prove it. Right now, the statistics show us that potentially 11% of all people who profess to be Christian share their faith. 11%. Now, if you think about how many people do not know Jesus, 11% is not going to cut it. And that's one time in 16 months is the statistic that I, that I read recently. That 11% of all people who name the name of Christ share their testimony about Jesus unto the gospel of Jesus, which is the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ, one time in 16 months, 11%. That is, I mean, could we all just agree right now, that's not going to bring the whole world to Christ. The whole body, when they experience the power of God, take the whole gospel to the whole world. It, it, it takes what we're talking about in here and it moves it out there. It moves it out there. This is the desire that we have, that we need to have, that God would fill us in such a way where our Christianity just cannot stay in a building. You can't confine us to a stage, to a building, to a place, to a time, to a location because we are like cellular. You know, it's like the, remember the corded phones that we used to have? It could only be in the house. You remember that, the corded phone? Some of us would get long cords because we wanted to talk to that special someone. And they didn't even have that extension pack and you'd move it from like, you know, 20 feet to 60 feet. But then, hey, remember when cord, remember cordless phones came out? Oh my gosh, that was like an invention from heaven. Right? Remember, what was it, like 900 megahertz? You remember those? You could get to the door, but no more. You could get to the door, but no more. But then... Something great happened, 2.8 gigahertz. You remember that? You're outside on the lawn. You're in the lawn chair. You got lemonade. You're outside. It's 90 degrees. Come on, baby. Yeah, 2.8 gigahertz. Remember 5.6. Was it 5.6 gigahertz? You're, down, you're at the neighbor's house. You got your cell phone. You got a little holster. You got a little holster. Yeah. Yeah, you're at the neighbor's house. That's right. You're drinking sweet tea. You're eating coffee cake. You're at the neighbor's house. No, don't worry. If they call, I got it. I got it right here. I got it. Don't worry. I got it. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. 
Yeah, modern, modern invention of man. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But then the cellular phone comes out. Oh, and we all remember those things? They were like this. You just kind of put them up to your head. Right? Only drug dealers had them. At least that's what the movie showed us. They were the big ones, right? You're carrying a brick. And then they moved to that to smaller, and now you can put these little things in your ear. Remember when those things came out, the Bluetooth, and no, you didn't even know somebody had one in their ear. They're just walking by. They're like, yeah, George, how you doing? You're like, hey, what? <laughs> you thought they were talking to you? On many occasions, I tried to talk to somebody that was not talking to me. You go from you're regulated in a home, this, this, this call that you're receiving, this communication, it, it, it stays in your home, and then it moves into your neighborhood, and then it goes cellular, Right? It, it took power, it took technology, it took power to, to make us cellular. And this, this is what I'm saying, God, by his spirit, gives us power so that we can be lifestyle Christians everywhere that we go. We've got a direct connect to God, we know his word, we know his message, and even though we feel scared or fearful at times, we don't have to be. All you gotta do is step out. Terry Gasparetti, I know that's what you do, girl, I know you do it all the time. I go see her at Safeway. She's a manager at Safeway, and she's always sharing. In fact, I love that. She's just all up in it, just sharing the love of Jesus at her workplace all the time. And you can't always do that at work. I understand that. I understand that you can't just be all abrasive, and that's not what we're talking about. But I think it actually takes power to share the love of Jesus with people. I think it does, right? Because statistics tell us that it's not happening by and large, so we need the power of God. In fact, if you want people to come to Christ, we just need to agree this morning, we need the power of God to hit us, to touch us, to fill us, to flow through us. And the last point, if uh, whoever is gonna be playing this morning, if they could come and play ever so softly behind me. Meditationally, metacrationally. Point number four is the disciples proclaim the gospel with boldness. Listen to what happened when the power of God came. People were saved, Acts 2.10 and all throughout Acts. Spiritual gifts were released. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19. Boldness comes upon the church. Boldness. You know the word boldness in this language, it meant freedom of speech. I feel like the enemy is basically pressed the mute button on the mouth of the church. And we just, it takes power to just break that censorship that often is so normal Supernatural manifestations, Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 9. Churches were planted all over the world. In fact, when Paul starts planting churches, he's planting churches all over the places where the common Jew in that time couldn't even imagine that God would do a work like he did. The gospel goes out to the entire world. We need this boldness today. In fact, I was thinking about a story. When do you close, by the way? I just forgot. In 15 seconds, we close. So I need to speak swiftly. Quickly now. I'm only gonna say one thing, but you're gonna know all the things that I meant. <laughs> no. uh, can I take liberty? Just a, a, few, a few extra seconds, all right. I had this dream one day, and um, this was a couple years ago, and the Lord gives me dreams sometimes. I don't have dreams very often that are from the Lord, but when I have them, uh, they're very impactful. Like, I don't even have to write them down. It just, I wake up like, and uh, it's, a, it's a day of trembling before God, typically. I have this dream, and I'm, I walk into a sanctuary of a large church building, and there are people kind of scattered, kind of like this, only more people just scattered all throughout the building, um, lots of spaces in between us like we see here today. 
and I walk down the center aisle, and I'm wondering what's happening. I'm watching people kind of dozing off. You know, they're just kind of, you know, when you slide down the seat, I'm watching people dozing off, sliding down their seat, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world is this? Is this a church gathering? Or like, what is happening here <laughs> in my mind? I didn't say it with my mouth, but I'm thinking it with my mind. I walk down the center aisle, and I look to my left, which would be, what, stage right, I guess? Is that right, stage right? And so there's a table, and on the table, is there an, there's an alarm clock. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, people are kind of taking a nap, and the alarm clock's gonna wake them all up. I get it, right? So I look at the clock, and the clock has the cord hanging off the edge of the table, but it's not plugged in. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, this is a problem. People are just dozing off, falling asleep in the church. So I walk to the front, and I'm kind of mulling over this experience as I'm in the middle of it, going like, what is happening? Like, everybody in this whole place is falling asleep, and nobody can really even see me. And I knew just instinctively that everybody's waiting for something to wake them up that doesn't even have power to it. Everybody's trusting that some moment's going to come where we're all going to wake up and do what we're supposed to do and be who we're supposed to be, and it's going to come in the moment that that thing wakes us up, that that thing's going to come up. It doesn't even have power. It's not plugged in, which means, obviously, that that moment is never going to come. So I start to scream at the top of my voice. I'm just yelling at all the people, and yes, I do that once in a while, in the love of God. I say that in the nicest possible way. I don't think there's any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but I think the enemy has lied to us to make us believe that a comfortable, convenient, personally saved Christian life and live in a sense of morality and a sense of integrity is what it's all about. That's not what it's all about. Christianity is not about morality, although we wanna be moral people. It is about the expansion of the kingdom of God that anyone, whosoever, believes in Jesus Christ will be saved. And we find ourselves this morning with the message. But what I'm asking you, is do you know that you have the power to take the message that you have and so believe for yourself and bring that to other people in whatever way that God calls you to? I'm not asking you to check why you're not doing it because that's what we do. We go, well, I'm not like you and I'm not an event and I don't have these gifts and I don't. we've got a lot of reasons why we don't do the very thing that God would call you to do. It may not look like me, it may not look like anyone else, but it will look like something. It will not look like nothing. And what nothing looks like is that picture that I described to you in my dream where the church is falling asleep. The people of God who have the greatest message on the planet are falling asleep with the treasure in their hands, with the cure in their hearts. We see broken people, we've got the cure. We've got to receive power. I don't know how to compel you. Some of us have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe all of us, I have no idea. I'm not asking if you're saved this morning, but what I I wanna know is that do you have the power of God in your life for the purpose that Jesus gives it to us for? You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. That's your home. Judea, that's Mount Lake Terrace. Samaria, that's beyond. United States of America and the uttermost parts of the world, that's the nations. We've gotta first reach Jerusalem. It takes power to reach where we are and it takes power for this to expand and that is the purpose. I wanna provoke you out of the status quo. I wanna provoke you 
out of the same old, same old. I wanna provoke you out of I'm saved and that's enough. It's not enough for the person next to us. It's not enough for our neighbor. It's not enough for Mount Lake Terrace. It's not enough for the United States of America. It is not enough just for me. And if I'm provoking you, good. I screamed at that group of people in that church. I said, wake up, wake up. What I realized is we had to become that power source. It's like electricity. Got all the capabilities in the world, but you gotta plug in. Got all the capabilities of the world, but you gotta plug in. And the stuff that we read about is not activated until we plug in. It's just not gonna happen. So if you find yourselves in a place this morning, hopefully, where you're hungry and you're desperate for more, the answer is the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the whole power for the mission. Not just power for power's sake, power for the mission that we're called to. Would you pray with me this morning as we close?